I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. One quick announcement. Um, I started another project. So we have History of Alchemy. Um, if you haven't heard that one already, we have Bohemican, which is with my co-host. Both of those are with my co-host, Pete Coleman. And Bohemican is about Czech history and the Czech Republic. Um, some really interesting shows there. Um, even if you wouldn't think you would like uh, Czech history or Czech culture, you do. You just don't know it yet. Um, great shows on, I don't know, beer, hockey, all kinds of really interesting phenomena that you probably never thought about. Um, and now there's a new project which I stole um, Der Budla's podcast Das Geheime Kabinett in German, The Secret Cabinet, and I just stole it and I translated it and then I gave it back to him. Um, so he's hosting his own show translated by me into English and The Secret Cabinet is a great show content-wise. Um, I, I wanted to trans to practice my translating from English to German, which is what I do for this show, the History of Germany show. Um, I kind of write it in English, and then I more interpret it into German, kind of live as I go. At least that's the easiest way. Sometimes I start with German, and then it's much harder. Um, but so to practice that, I picked a German podcast and translated it into English and just kind of stole it. Um, but then I gave it back to Dabudla, the English version, and he now hosts it. So if you go to content is not by me, that's by Dabudla. Um, he's the guy that I that I interviewed for Martin Luther's thesis, and I interviewed him for the the Sky Disc of Nibra um, when I went up to Wittenberg. And there's a new show on history of alchemy coming out about Faust's alchemical lab, um, which is actually going to be published right now uh, today probably. Um, but the secret cabinet, there's all kinds of really neat, weird historical artifacts that in the past would have been kept secret from the public, like episode one is Napoleon's penis, um, and the, the travels and life it had after Napoleon's death. Um, so weird artifacts you don't normally think about. Maybe there's Jesus's foreskin coming up and, um, the, the, the death race of a grand vizier and all kinds of really interesting stories, um, that are incredibly interesting, but up until now have been kind of more delegated to the footnotes of history. But that's a great one. So secret-cabinet.com, secret-cabinet.com. And um, there you have it, new show. So the following segment on the German Beer Purity Act was actually part of a History Podcasters Network collage on the history of alcohol. And um, I did a, a segment there on for History of Germany on the Beer Purity Act, which you're about to hear. Um, History of Alchemy on a different part um, did 
distillation. Bohemikin did one on Pilsner and Budweiss and Czech beer. And there are also such greats there like Sharon Eastoff from the History of Crusades, Paul Vincent from Myths and History of Greece and Rome, um, and Eric David Halsey from the Bulgaria History Podcast. But that's not what he talked about, though. He cheated. Um, but yeah, that's a really great show. So without further ado, here is my part from the History of Germany, German Beer Purity Act. And I, and I did also translate it in German, if you want to find that. It's um, on History of germanypodcast.com and you'll see like a little german flag so here we go the reinheitsgebot or or german beer purity law welcome to the history of germany segment of the show i'm travis dow now the history of germany podcast may be a new show but i have a thing or two to say about alcohol especially beer i lived in munich for 10 years i lived in oregon 10 years 10 years in prague actually i think i'm missing a few years there somewhere Anyways, I can come across as a bit of a beer snob when traveling and talking to the local peasants that aren't from those beer elitist places. Oh, wait, I'm doing it again. Well, fact is, Germans have been taking their beer very seriously for a very long time. If you've ever heard of the German Beer Purity Act, the Reinheitsgebot, then you'll know what to thank for why your beer is what it is. It's basically set the standard for beer since the 15th century. And though it was meant as a law for the Holy Roman Empire, and specifically Bavaria, it wasn't removed from the law books until 1993. And even then, in a different itineration, it's still around today. According to this law in the strictest sense, and since we're talking about Germany, I'm going to take the strictest sense for granted, beer may only be called beer, well, technically bia, B-I-E-R, if it's made using certain standards and very specific ingredients, namely water, barley, hops, and then once yeast was figured out in the 19th century yeast, and that's it. So for example, by these standards, several big American beer companies never actually brewed beer. I don't want to insult anybody, American craft beers are definitely some of the best in the world, but the big breweries are often a different matter. Call it what you want, malt liquor, sewage, whatever, but by Reinheitsgebot's definitions, it's not beer. See what I mean about being a beer snob? I usually don't even agree on a definition of beer with your average Joe back home. Many beers often contain ingredients like rice or corn, therefore disqualifying themselves in the past from being called beer in Germany. For more on this, Bohemian Podcast did a great show on beer that explains beer from the Czech town of Budweis, therefore a Budweiser, and other um, beverages that use that name. We have the origins of the Purity Act in 1487, when Albert IV, Duke of Bavaria, started to spread it and specifying three ingredients, water, malt, hops, for the brewing of beer. Later, in the city of Ingolstadt, in the Duchy of Bavaria, on the 23rd of April, 1516, two other dukes endorsed the law and started following it, adding standards for the sale of beer in addition to the ingredients. The law also set the price of beer at 1 to 2 pfennigs per mass. That's basically one to two cents for a liter of beer. As anyone who has been to the Oktoberfest knows, a mass is a liter of beer, as in a liter glass. A liter, it's about a quart, is a serving. So welcome to Bavaria. Pints are cute, don't get me wrong. It's good for, like, let's say children's size. Oh, man, there I go again. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. The Reinheitsgebot 
is no longer part of German law. It, it was replaced by the provisional German beer law in 1993, which, al which allows constituent components pro prohibited in the Reinheitsgebot, like for instance yeast, but also wheat, malt, and cane sugar, and no longer allows unmalted bar barley. So Hefeweizen, Weissbier, it's still a beer. Now the Reinheitsgebot was introduced in part to prevent price competition with bakers for wheat and rye. The restrictions of grain to barley was meant to ensure the availability of affordable bread, as more valuable wheat and rye were reserved for, for bakers, basically. And no yeast was mentioned, of course, because it was not until the 19th century that Louis Pasteur discovered the role of microorganisms in fermentation. Therefore, yeast was not known to be an ingredient in beer. Brewers generally took some sediment from the previous fermentation and added it to the next, the sediment generally containing the necessary organisms to perform fermentation. If none were available, they would just set up several vats and just kind of hope that the natural airborne yeasts would inoculate the brew. Now, hops are added to beer to impart flavors, but also as a preservative. Like in IPAs, for instance, it was meant to last from, from England to India. And their mention in the Reinheitsgebot was meant to prevent alternative methods of preserving beer that had been used before the introduction of hops. And thank goodness for that, because medieval brewers often tried to preserve beer in, by including things like soot or fly agaric mushrooms, um, more other kind of Groot herbs, such as stinging nettle and henbane. Henbane, by the way, little footnote here, the German name, name of henbane is Bilsenkraut and may have originally meant Pilsen herb, indicating that, you know, obviously Pilsen was a city where they used a lot of, a lot of henbane for preservations. And trust me, we cover Pilsner beer on Bohemian Podcast too. We were actually drinking Pilsner while covering, so take that as you will. Breaking the Reinheitsgebot meant they could confiscate the tainted barrels without compensation. Even in the 20th century, Bavaria was a bit touchy with what could be imported to Bavaria and what could be called beer. During the Weimar Republic, so after World War I, these legal disputes would be recounted, often quite emotionally, in the local newspaper. But, before, but even before that, get this, Bavaria insisted on its application throughout Germany as a precondition of German unification in 1871. So basically, Bavaria insisted that Germany get its beer in order before agreeing to sit down at the beer garden conference table with Prussia. I mean, I presume it was obviously at a beer garden, right? So while I clearly have my biases, you'll just have to forgive them. This is some serious stuff. As a result, some northern Germany traditions like cherry and spice beer kind of became extinct. Too bad, really. <clears throat> Pilsner-style beers shot up in popularity. Well, then some more stuff happened, a few changes of government, a few world wars. Details, really, when talking about the vastly more important history of beer. And I think we can all agree. In any case, when West Germany was founded, it again came up before legislators in 1952 for the Biersteuergesetz. That's the beer taxation law. So now we're talking about the beer taxation law and no longer the purity law, but this was really a name change only. It still regulated ingredients. And then in May 1988, a European court of justice ruling led to the Reinheitsgebot being lifted, allowing ingredients beyond the that what was listed in the Biersteuergesetz, this meant that anything allowed in other foods was also allowed in beer. Now the lifting of the Biergesetz, the beer law, only concerns imported beer. Beer brewed in Germany still must follow the law, as it should be. 
After German reunification in 1990, there were again disputes because some East German breweries were adding sugar. Uh, Okay, I know, I know. Blasphemy, sacrilege, but I try not to judge, okay? I will at some point have a lot to say about Stasi and East German atrocities, but I think I might have to skip sweet beer when covering the GDR. I I would just get too emotional. Now, the revised Vorläufiges Biergesetz in 1993 is a slightly expanded version of the Reinheitsgebot, allowing, besides water, malted barley, hops, yeast, for bottom-fermenting beer, but also different kinds of malt and even sugar for top-fermenting beer. All ingredients and the process itself are subject to additional regulations. Thus... German breweries continued to comply with the Bier Gesetz, but often in terms of marketing, you still hear breweries complying with the Reinheitsgebot. And not just Germany. Little shout out back home for Deschutes Brewery in Bend, Oregon, for instance, proudly proclaims compliance with the Reinheitsgebot. Until superseded by a change in EU law, the Reinheitsgebot was also enforced in Greece from the early 19th century due to a, a law by the, by the first Greek king Otto, who was originally a Bavarian prince. That had remained in effect for over a hundred years. But not just Greece and Germany, but also Namibia Breweries Limited also claims to be compliant with the Reinheitsgebot due to its historical connection to Germany. And China's most sold beer in the USA, Zingdao, followed the law, at least in the past, since it was founded by Bavarian brewers. And there'll definitely be a Zingdao episode on the history of Germany at some point when we talk about German colonization and, and effects overseas. Now, the law drew criticisms from foreign breweries as a form of protectionism that allowed Germany to prohibit beers from Belgium and England, which which contained sugars, grains, such as corn and rice, and clarification and fining agents. But let's face it, if they would just shape up their beer, they wouldn't have these worries, right, Belgium, England? Since 1995, the annual Day of German Beer takes place every 23rd of, of April, in which German brewing industry would like to recall the Reinheitsgebot. This date was chosen because of its um, original manifestation in Bavaria in 1516. Anyways, that's all the time I have. There will be much, much more on this on the History of Germany podcast eventually, not to mention things like Oktoberfest. By the way, there can be only one, hint, the one in Munich. And don't forget to stop by historyofgermanypodcast.com. I even do the show in both English and German. I'm Travis Dow. Auf Wiedersehen, zum Wohl und natürlich Prost. Beer just gets me so riled up, I can't help it. I'm usually such a nice guy. Hey, Barkeep, one more Augustina? Yeah, mas. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh. The joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.